Welcome to the KinCast from Kinherit. We examine everyday challenges, from running a business, self-development, and getting on the property ladder, to dealing with loss, having a family, and preparing for our end of life. Practical and insightful, the KinCast series will take you through life's challenges, from cradle to the grave. It addresses the current climate, while also looking to the future to see how we can survive and thrive. Good morning and welcome to the KinCast. My name is Ben Mason. I'm the CEO of Kinherit. We're a wills, trust and estate planning company operating across the UK. On today's show, I'm joined by Nicole Stanfield and Mary Tutayev. Both ladies are very kind, caring, compassionate people who run death cafes in the southwest of England, one in Taunton and one in Bristol. On today's show, we're going to talk about death. We're going to talk about the Dying Matters Week, which we're in this week, where people focus on all the areas of support and conversations that can be held and should maybe be held more around the area of death and loss and grief. Today's show isn't going to be depressing. It isn't going to be sad. It's going to be uplifting. It's going to be informative. I talk about death all day, every day, as do the members of my team. And the two ladies today who are going to tell you a little bit about themselves, they're very used to those conversations and the cafes that they run. So Nicole, a student nurse here in the UK, originally from California, she's been here for 10 years. And Mary, who is an ex-Londoner, who was a full-time carer for her mother and now works for Age UK. So Nicole, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your journey and what got you to sort of set up the Death Cafe in Taunton? Well, um, after I moved to the UK, I had previously been an advertising copywriter. Um, and I decided when I came over here, um, I was a stay at home mom for a while and I decided that I kind of wanted a whole different change in career. So I became a carer. Um, and I quickly realized that palliative care, the end of life care was my passion. Um, you know, we had some residents who, who died while I was there and we, you know, taking care of them in the final days, hours of their life was a real honor. Um, so I got my end of life uh, level two certificate, um, but then I decided that I, there was more that I could do. So I enrolled in university um, to become a nurse. Um, and that's kind of my, my sort of specialty, I guess, my, my interest. Um, I also had to take care of my father when he was dying. Um, we were estranged. I didn't know what he wanted. Um, this was back in California. I, and it was really difficult. You know, the grief compounded with the second guessing of, you know, what would he have want? He have wanted, you know, he didn't make a will. Um, it made it a really stressful time. And when I came back from doing that, I, I thought, you know, what can I do to help people avoid that situation? And I'd been to death cafes before, and really enjoyed them and there wasn't one in in Taunton so I thought this is something that I can do to to help I guess. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, Mary we will have a story and I think Nicole and yourself one thing we're going to be touched by is that, that you've looked after people at the end so can you tell me about your story? Yeah so my mum had an accident 13 years ago and it was my decision to be a carer. Um, so I became her full-time carer. And sadly, she died last year. So I nursed her and cared for her throughout that whole time. 
and something as a family we were never scared about talking about death I, I think I'm really fortunate that from a child it was just a natural part of life and I saw a, an advertisement for Death Cafe in Bristol and went along and was so uplifted uh, like you said earlier people imagine it's going to be quite a depressing experience and it's actually a relief to go somewhere where you can just socially be at ease and talk about anything so i just went as a as a visitor and the lady who was running it decided for different reasons she was stopping and she said does anybody want to do it and i thought give it a go and it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made. And you, and you work for Age UK. Do you want to tell me a bit about how you got into that and what you do? Yeah, well, Ben, when my mum died, I thought I've got to get back out into the world of work, which is incredibly difficult when you've been 13 years out of it. But fate just uh, produced this job and I turned up and luckily they like me, I like them. And uh, I help run a day club, which sadly at the moment is on lockdown. So we are very aware that there are a lot of older people totally isolated, going through all kinds of experiences. And the challenge for us is finding out how we can support them. Obviously, we can't physically meet, but we're being creative and finding ways we can support them. Yeah. I, I can't say how much I value what you two do. Um, Nicole did a lovely, lovely interview on um, Channel 5 News, which is how I came to hear about Nicole. And obviously I, I heard about Mary through, through a friend of a friend. Uh, I've been to Mary Death Cafe. I'll be visiting Nicole's this weekend, virtually, obviously, as we still can't see each other. Or we could all be two metres apart in a park. Who, who really understands the rules? I think when people listen to this podcast in a few years time, they have no idea what we're talking about. Um, but I think the fact that you two are both managing to keep them going virtually is really important. Mary's one I attended on Sunday. It was really, really, really uplifting. And there were a few sad moments where people were really overcome with a few things. And, and it was obvious that the talking and the, the room was, was something that really helped them. And I can't emphasize enough how positive and uplifting these experiences are. It's not a dirgy as someone said to me, oh, is it a dirty death party? No, actually it's not. It's people talking about their concerns and some of their worries, but people helping them and being really upbeat. And it's also not rah, rah, rah clapping where we're upbeat for the sake of it. It's actually upbeat because people are opening up and talking. So it's almost like I planned this. That leads really well into the, the Dying Matters Week. So ladies, I want to do a couple of things. We'll talk a bit about Dying Matters Week and what it means to you. And then we'll come back round and we'll talk about the dying to be heard, which is their theme this year. So I'll start with Mary this time. Mary, what's Dying Matters Week mean to you? I think, Ben, it's, um, I think it's an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a collective in that I have often referred people on our, in our death cafe, you may get a person with a specific problem or specific query that we can't get into maybe on the death cafe for lots of reasons but something like that really means that if you have a specific query or a specific problem there will be help so all i mean this isn't just this charity 
there's so many charities out there that can help you. So to me, anything that highlights anything connected with grief and death has got to be a good thing. Brilliant, brilliant, perfectly put. Nicole, I'm not sure how you're going to follow that because that, that, was, that was almost like the best advert for Dying Matters Week ever. But Nicole, talk, talk to me about how you're, how you're finding it. <clears throat> well, we've, I've worked with Dying Matters since the beginning. Um, I started the Death Cafe over two years ago in Taunton. And um, since the, the beginning, I've used their wonderful resources um, and literature that they've put out. Um, the thing with Death Cafe is you're not meant to have an agenda. You're not meant to push a particular product or service, um, but you can have resources available for people to take if they choose. Um, so I always at my cafes have a big table full of leaflets and Dying Matters produce very accessible, very interesting to look at and read and very informative um, leaflets about all different topics. Um, so it's a lot easier to signpost people and help people if they do, like Mary said, have a specific issue. Um, I think they're a great charity. I think they are, like I said, accessible to the average person. And I think it takes the, it moves the conversation away from something that people would see as morbid and it makes it more, it makes it more palatable really. And I think it, it makes it more commercial for people to, to enjoy. Um, and anything that gets the word out is great in my opinion. Mm. One of the words there that you focused on, and it leads back to what Mary's talking about, is the accessibility. Now, the theme this year is dying to be heard. And while I think that's a great theme, actually, the theme could be turned on its head and be called, why don't people talk about it? <laughs> why don't people think about it? So dying to be heard is the positive spin on it. And I suppose I'll ask you both, what is the... I'll give you my, one of my thoughts. We run a will writing firm. We talk about death. There has been an increase in business, but not the increase the industry would have expected at this time because people are still scared to speak about it. And people are still scared to look at it and understand it. So what is it that you two find has been so... One a reason why you think people aren't good at talking about it. So, for the, so one, why is it? And two, what have you found has been the impetus to get them to start talking about it? Nicole, I'll fire to you first. Well, you make a really good point because the, the theme dying to be heard is actually, it focuses on listening. Um, and with Death Cafe, often we are talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. That's our, our slogan basically. Um, but, it's really important that you are also listening. Um, so the week, you know, we talk about accessibility, we talk about, um, you know, people talking. Well, sometimes a barrier to people talking is that people don't want to hear it. People don't mm. want to listen. You know, you might start talking to a family member about what you want, um, you know, for your death and they might shut down completely and be like, no, I don't want to hear this. Um, so dying to be heard really is about, you know, not only talking about death, but also being a good listener when people do want to talk about it. Um, and I think that's a really important way of getting people over that stumbling block as well, you know, by putting yourself out there and saying, hey, you're not weird if you want to talk about this. I'm not going to think you're, you know, morbid or 
suicidal. You know, if you want to talk about this, um, I'm here to listen. Let's make a plan together. Let's write something down. Let's talk about it. Um, and I think by making it casual um, and, you know, over tea and cake as in the death cafe, I think that really helps to get people, you know, realizing that it doesn't have to be a big um, sort of thing. It doesn't have to be this like, oh, I've got to go out and make my will right away. It's like, you know, you can just simply talk and write down. Yeah. And I think that makes it easier for people. I suppose that's something I'd never thought about. And Mary, that'd be interesting to what you say is that actually, not only are there a lot of people that don't want to talk about it, when you find people that do want to talk about it, Nicole, there aren't a lot of people that want to listen. That is something I'd not thought about. And that's it. Uh, because all we do is talk about it. <laughs> um, that's, what, that's what we do. Um, so I suppose what I always think that we are willing to listen, but I suppose you're saying that we're in the family unit. That isn't the case. Mary, mm. what have you found? I know obviously without saying any names, there were a couple of people we had in the Death Cafe on the, on the weekend that it was obvious they don't have the people to talk about it to. Now, no, um, I... listen to what Nicole says, that makes sense. Yeah, I still think that there's a primitive fear about talking about death and almost for some people they feel if they mention the word or think about um, writing a will they might die that actual day it's as it's as childlike and as primitive as that for some people yeah we I mean we've had some members that um, it takes all their courage to come into the room and to try and say the word death it's actually sticking in their mouth they're so fearful and we've also had people who said, I can't talk about death with my family because I want to protect them. I don't want to hurt them or upset mm -hmm. them, but I'm feeling all these things about death. And it's actually easier to talk to a room full of strangers than to talk to my parents, my partner, my children, because I do not want everyone to end up crying. And regarding the other question of, of why do you think people are asking about it or talking about it more i do think that the coronavirus has made people change from an intellectual idea of yes one day i must face my death to it's happening and it's all around us and what am i what am i thinking and what am i preparing so We've definitely, I mean, we've had 120 people join since Christmas mm. and, and that's unusual. Um, to me, that suggests that people are really searching, really trying to find some support and some answers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, chicken and egg, what are they looking for first, support or answers? And I don't, and I don't think people always know. I think they might have a lack of um, understanding, certainly Mary, as you say, fear. And do they want the support or do they want answers? Maybe they're not sure which is they want, but maybe they want both. Maybe, as you say, some people just want to turn up and listen to others because that builds their confidence. I noticed that as well, Mary, when we were there. And Nicole and Mary, do you think that's a big thing? Not even talking yourself, just listening to others. Does that give them the confidence to start addressing things? Nicole, fire away. Um, certainly. Um, I think 
that the stigma surrounding talking about death, you know, can be broken by just attending a, a death cafe. And even if you don't feel like you're comfortable enough to contribute, um, you know, just seeing other people, you know, quote unquote, normal people just talking about death and, you know, and being open and honest with each other, um, you know, I think that can help um, break that stigma and show that it's, it's something that, you know, we can all do and you don't need a special, you know, qualification to, to chat about death. Everyone can do it. Mary, how, how's that for you? Is that something you found? Definitely. There's some people that will come to the monthly group meetings and hardly say anything, but after the meeting will say to me, I've got so much from that. There's also people that like to post on our Facebook page who won't say anything in the meetings and that's fine, but they will write incredibly um, personal ideas or stories. And for some people writing is a more comfortable way than actually speaking. But I, I always try and encourage Ben people to listen because some, sometimes people get very passionate and talk and talk and that's great, but it's really important to listen as well. So I try and encourage the two. I think the listening part is, is so hard for some people because yeah. and I can see you both nodding and it's, I think what they, I think that for them it feels, and we've certainly seen this and experienced it, it's a bit like a, a safety valve. Once that valve is opened, that is it. They are going to, you're both laughing. They, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to give you everything. Mm. They are going to give you every thought they've had on death, every worry, mm. all pent up emotions. And, and I think maybe that's why the death cafes work so well with both the online and the, um, and the, the online forum that's in the Facebook and the meetings. I think it gives them the opportunity to ask a few questions and listen a bit. And it sort of gradually releases that for them. So, it's not one explosion of, of emotion and thoughts. Does that make sense? I've, I've found that with the, the online meetings, um, you know, you miss out on the very casual sort of day-to-day -day conversation of being close to somebody while you're speaking to them, the eye contact, you miss out on that. But the format of the meetings where you have to take turns talking, where you have to mute unless you're speaking, you know, it's just these little things that we have to have to enforce just to make it run smoothly with this, you know, with Zoom and everything. And I think that allows people to express their thoughts a bit more because people are more conscious of, oh, it's my turn to speak. Okay, I'm not going to take way too much time. I'll say what I want to say and then, you know, somebody else will go. And if I have a response, I'll, I'll kind of do the hand raise thing. So while it is a bit more stilted compared to a, a you know, sort of organic face-to-face -face conversation, it does lend itself really well to the idea of listening and, you know, saying what you want to say and then responding in a very structured way. Mary, so with that idea, and there are positives coming out of the coronavirus. I think the data on families being in touch through video messaging and the regular contact with families is superb. I know even my own family, my mother and father, we might have seen them. We go there for three or four days every other month. 
and they'd see my daughter that way but now they see my daughter every day on video phone every day and it means so much to them the reason they do is because they didn't want to use technology before and now they've now they've had to learn so with that positive of technology do you think mary we can maybe find a place to say we could do the death cafes both online and physical when we can meet so we've got the two forms of communication is that something you'd like to see yeah that's something that some of the members were talking about were asking me and i think it would be a really good way to combine the two um my members also asked for a social um that's what you were part of as well ben yeah. so it showed to me that people wanted to meet a to talk about death matters but also to get to know each other and that you're right this this time has really placed an emphasis on what's important we're usually so busy in our our normal lives that we try and squeeze in friendships and family mm. and this slowing down has allowed us to realize this is what's important so yes i i will be keeping both forms going definitely that's brilliant i think um i think we're very lucky uh, to have people that do what you do and the sad thing is that probably not enough people know so i hope that today's um today's video and podcast depending how people consume it um we're available our podcast available on all the regular podcast um platforms however people choose to consume it i hope it will bring some attention to it and i, I get ladies i know there are death cafes all around the country so the people who might be listening to the southwest they know where to go but for the people who are listening outside the southwest maybe outside of the uk there are going to be death cafes near you too um, can I get you both, we'll start with Mary, just to talk about the Death Cafe um, idea. Obviously it wasn't yours, you joined one and Nicole, you, you'd heard of them before. How did they sort of form and how quickly are they spreading? Mary, with you first. Yeah, well, they've, they've spread amazingly quickly. I mean, it was started by a guy called John Underwood uh, in London and had the idea, he actually uh, held the first meeting with some family members in his kitchen in Camden. And then just by word of mouth, it spread and spread. Then now, I think there are 9,000 cafes, Ben, worldwide. Amazing. So amazing. And in countries that you would think wouldn't, wouldn't either allow it or wouldn't want it. So to me, it shows a universal need for people to gather either the way we are or in physical terms and, and talk about it. So um, really, really important. And what I like about the Death Cafes is that it uh, attracts people of all ages. So we've had young students, 18, 19, who you would imagine fail life and that death is far away from them. It's not going to happen, but they want to talk about it. Mm. We've also had people in their nineties who were saying it's real for me. It's not, I'm not just thinking about it. It's real. So mm. I really welcome the age, the age mixing as well. Nicole, tell us about, obviously you talked about your journey, but you experienced death cafes before the one in Taunton. So where, where did you go before that? Um, one of the ones I went to was actually in Bristol. It was during a, a death fair at the um, Bristol Museum. They had a, an exhibit about death and they had a, a death fair all day. And one of the things was a cafe. 
Um, and I'd been to the Exeter Death Cafe as well. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with Mary, you know, it's, it's been incredible to see the range of people that, that visit the cafe. Um, and the one thing that I tell people, you know, I get, we, I'm getting contacted by people from all over the country, um, even across the ocean, like, you know, people wanting to attend a cafe, they saw me in, you know, some article or another, and are interested. And, you know, I always say, well, there's probably one near you. And if there isn't, if it's something you're really, really interested in, it doesn't take any kind of, um, you know, professional qualification to start a cafe. You can, you can do it. And now it's even easier if we're talking about starting a cafe online, you don't have to worry about finding a venue. Um, and I, I always tell people, you know, if there's not one near you, you know, why don't you be the one to start one? Brilliant. Ladies, I think, We've got a really good discussion. Nicole's right. If there's not one near you, go and visit one and virtually and then get get a feel for what it is and then maybe start one near you. If there is one near you, please go along. The people are so incredibly supportive. We're incredibly lucky to have people that do this. I think I'd like a quick closing statement from you, Mary. What do you think is going to be the the, the, the challenge the next few months to get over with coronavirus? regarding the death cafes is there something you feel that we can do as a part of the community to help people i think we can provide a safe space so that people can talk about it again obviously people are thinking about it but may not want to share it with their nearest and dearest mm. they don't want to frighten or upset people so this is an opportunity to talk about it but it's also an opportunity to talk about anything that's on your mind. So we can combine, like you said, they don't need to, they are not heavy or miserable sessions, which, oh. some, which some people who haven't been say, you know, do you just come out feeling depressed? I promise you, you don't. So I think death cafes are needed more than ever, Ben. Thank you. And Nicole, Mary's touched on, because I asked her to, <laughs> the challenges for the next few months. What do you think the opportunities are when we come out of coronavirus, when, we're, when, when lockdown is hopefully, they're talking about maybe the middle of July, when we can start to meet and have these conversations again, what do you think the benefits are gonna be of, of what's happened the last four months? I think people have started to realize that death isn't necessarily an abstract concept. Um, I think, you know, people have realized that, you know, it can happen um, anytime to anyone. And people have started to realize that talking about death and planning for death is something that's important. Um, I hope it's something that people don't lose when we come out of this. Um, and I think, you know, people get bogged down in the details. Oh, it's, you know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make my will? How do I do a power of attorney when we're on lockdown? And I think the biggest takeaway from this is, you know, the, it just takes your first step is just simply talking about it and listening. Um, and that's the easiest thing you can do. And that's, you know, that's all you need to do right now. So. Amazing. Ladies, I'd just like to thank you for your time. It's a Monday morning. What a way to start the week in the Dying Matters week. I appreciate your time. Um, so thank you to Nicole Stanfield. Thank you to Mary Tutayef. Um, my name is Ben Mason. I'm the CEO of Kinherit. If you have any questions around wills, trust powers of attorney, please get in trust. We're happy to help. 
But most of all, just remember, it's normal to talk about death. And if you need to, we've got two amazing people in the Southwest that can do it. Research Death Cafe near you, and hopefully you'll understand that talking about death is completely normal. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Goodbye.